I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello, yes, I am Richard Parr and you are listening to The Best in the World where every week we speak to an Olympic champion or a world champion or a former world record holder or former world number one to find out how they became the best in their field. We speak to athletes, we speak to rowers, we speak to swimmers, we speak to synchronized swimmers, cliff divers, rugby players, you name it. We have covered that sport on this show. It's so great to have you listening to the program today. And we are speaking to the two-time Olympic gold medalist in rowing, Caroline Lind. It was so great to talk to Caroline. And we covered a whole load of topics, including leadership, team building and communication. We also talked about how she's a morning person and how she used meditation and visualization skills in her life. She also talks about her brand new job and how being an Olympic champion is helping her in this new role. She also talks about how her diet and her sleep has changed since she retired. So as you can tell, there's so much to learn from this week's Olympic champion in rowing, Caroline Lind. Just before we get to the interview with Caroline, I want to tell you that you can learn even more great knowledge by listening to audiobooks. And Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. They've got over 180,000 titles to choose from. Why don't you go and check them out? All you've got to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. And you can check out their service for 30 days for free. Yes, you get one free download. You can do that at audibletrial.com forward slash best also if you do that you will be supporting our show all right let's get to it let's get to my interview with the best in the world this week it's caroline lind the best in the world podcast with richard parr Caroline Lind, welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr, two-time Olympic champion rower. So great to have you on the show this morning. And I say this morning because up, you're up really early today, aren't you? T- tell us about your, your morning schedule and, and what time you'd normally get up. Yeah, so, you know, right after I retired from rowing, I slept in quite a bit for <laughs> quite a few days. But now that I have a job, um, I try to get my workout in before work um, or if there's something I have to do you know, not related to work. I try to do it in the morning before I go because I feel fresh and 
I think my body is just so attuned to getting up and performing in the morning. So (laughs) (laughs) what is your job now? So right now I work at Princeton University, which is my alma mater. Um, I am doing athletic fundraising. So I'm in the development office, which is the fundraising office. And I work specifically with the athletic friends groups, which are the groups of alumni that work with each sports team at the university to raise money um, from friends and alums and um, parents um, for specifically for that sport. So there are about 17 friends groups that I deal with on a, you know, at, at a given time. Is that something you had to think about a lot when you were competing? No, it was interesting. When I was at Princeton, I didn't really have a very good concept of our friends group. And I think that hopefully that's changing because I think it's important for the current athletes to um, have an appreciation for what the alums are providing for them. But I think we just didn't. And so now um, through some education and some new programs with specifically the rowing team, I think the the current rowers are are much more um, in tune to what the friends group does for them, um, which I think gives you a better appreciation for all the things that you do, like going to a training trip in Florida in the winter. So you understand that, you know, that's not something that you can just do without the support of the alums and the parents and the friends. Mm. So in this new job that you're doing, what kind of skills and things that you learned as a rower do you think you're now using into this this new job well I think that the skills that I learned as a rower I'm using in my life every day all the time mm-hmm. um, the hard work the dedication I think especially the communication skills that you develop in a team such as a rowing team the ability to um, talk to any sort of person um, without making them feel as if they're, you know, that they're not an important part of the full picture of the team. Um, and just being able to, you know, because in my job now I'm communicating with coaches, I'm communicating with friends, presidents. So it's really important that I'm able to, um, do that effectively and clearly. And I think rowing really teaches you that, especially, you know, like being in a pair, um, having certain words or phrases that you're saying when you're in the midst of the third 500 of a race, like it has to be clear. You have to know what you're going to say. Um, and I think that that simplicity and clarity I'm trying to carry over with my communication and my job here. Mm, Yeah. Sometimes it's a lot easier to say something in, in one or two words rather than full sentences and everything like that. So you said that after you retired, you, you had a bit of more sleep you you slept for a little bit longer what -hmm. about your food has that changed much since you were competing like what what did you have for breakfast today for example yeah so today I kind of changed my shake up today but usually I have like a shake for breakfast um I'll do almond milk vegetables protein powder um this morning I had some old bananas so I threw an old banana in there and thought peanut butter might taste nice so I kind of just do like a healthy protein type shake in the morning um, because it's something that I don't have to have all at once and I kind of have through the day. But when I was training, I definitely had like a heartier breakfast before my workout, like 
oatmeal with a lot of yummy stuff in it um, because it was really important to have that to get us through those long morning workouts, especially if we were doing pieces. Um, my eating has changed because I'm just not working out as much or at the same intensity. So it's super important that I kind of <laughs> eat to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't, you know, rowers can sort of eat whatever. And you really need that fuel to get you through those workouts. Um, but now I don't need that. So it's a little more, you know, listening to when I'm hungry. Sometimes when you're a rower, you have to eat even when you're not hungry. <laughs> but now I'm trying to, to readjust how I think about food. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about those long sessions. Like how long are we talking? What, what would be a, a typical day for you in uh, training leading up to an Olympic Games, for example? Yeah. Well, um, you know, leading up to the games, you know, of course, right before the games, we would taper a little bit, but, um, sort of like the year leading up, we would have just two to three workouts a day, six to seven days a week. And it would be comprised of on the water work or ergometer work and weight work. So everything to sort of supplement, um, what we do on the water and reinforce those, the muscle memory in our body. Um, and that was done with weights and stuff, but, a session on the water could last anywhere from an hour to two and a half hours. An hour was pretty short and that didn't really happen much. Um, that might've been the hour session might, might've been the second AM workout. So we would have, you know, in, in that situation probably have been on the water for about two, two plus hours and then had a little break and then gone back out for like a quick spin, which was like an hour. So, um, rowing is just so much different from a lot of other sports because it's, it's sort of that constant effort through the entire race and you're really trying to maximize your ability. So it's not just the anaerobic that's important to, sprint and start the race but it's also the aerobic um that's really going to get you through the middle portion of that race and that's a really tough thing to develop and it takes a long time over and a lot of hours of cardio and doing the the motion to develop that aerobic base that can allow you to go harder for longer was there one workout each week which you would actually dread Yeah, I think it was actually a workout on the erg. So, and I say it was probably the one where sometimes I would be excited for it and sometimes I would dread it. (laughs) And I would always try to get my head around it and get pumped for it. But it's one of the harder workouts we did and it's two by 6K on the erg. And the reason the erg workouts are sometimes more stressful to prepare for is because they, they give you a di- like a direct reading of how you're doing at that moment. So it gives you feedback of your split, your time and your spot on the team because he'll take the scores from all those rowing machines and he'll rank them. So it's, you know, a test really every week to see how we're doing physiologically. And it's 2 by 6k. So it's about so it's two pieces that are each about 22 minutes long, 22 to 24 minutes long. And it's sort of like as hard as you can go. Um, and you, you kind of step up at the rate as you go through the workout, but it's, 
it's just, it's everything you've got and it's super exhausting. And I think, you know, if, if maybe you're having an off week or you haven't gotten enough sleep, it can be really, really challenging. Yeah, let's talk about sleep because we've, we've talked about your, your morning routine, your training and everything like that. How many hours were you getting? And, and you said that you're an early morning person because that's what you've been doing through rowing and, and that's what you're trying to do now to try and fit in your workouts. But what time do you normally try to get to sleep? Do you ever have any problems getting to sleep? Um, yes. Do, do you have any routine for sleep? Like do you have to have certain cushions or does it have to be completely dark? Oh, yeah. So this is... People always think this is kind of funny. Well, first of all, I've always been a person that needs a lot of sleep in general. So even if I'm not rowing all day, every day, I still kind of need the typical like eight hours to feel fresh. Uh, When I was rowing, it was more. It was like, you know, nine or nine and a half because you're really depleting your body throughout the day and you need that time to recharge and recover. Um, I was very particular um, about how my sort of environment while I sleep. So I like to have white noise on in the background. So I turn on a fan, but I also sometimes even like the birds outside of my window at my house will wake me up at like four in the morning in the spring. And, and so I have to wear earplugs and I wear an eye mask because I need it to be dark and I need it to be quiet, which is kind of funny. And people are always like, well, what did you do on your training trips or at the Olympics or whatever? And I'm like, I don't know. I was really lucky that my pair partners or the girls that were on it, um, picked to be my roommate were heavy sleepers. So they didn't mind that I had the white noise on. Um, or they were like, you know, I would take, I would have, I would get an app on my phone or I have an app on my phone so that when I don't have like a fan to turn on at my house, I can just, you know, turn on the app and it sounds like a fan. Hmm. Um, what's the app? Uh, I think it's just like white noise. It's just like a free app that I found on the app store and it has like, you can pick different noises. Um, So yeah, I would do that. But yeah, it's pretty, I'm pretty particular about that. And yeah, of course, sometimes I did have trouble falling asleep. And especially I think a lot of athletes can sometimes get nervous before a big race or um, a big erg test. And um, what I did for that was, you know, we visualized as a team So, but I also visualized in, um, by myself. So if I had a big competition or race or, um, evaluation coming up, I would visualize that, um, erg test or whatever it is once and kind of let myself feel those emotions and feel that adrenaline and then put it out of my head. And then that was sort of a way for me to prepare. So I didn't go back to, you know, oh, the third 500, like sometimes your mind just goes there. But if you, by doing that sort of, um, routine and doing that exercise, mental exercise, it helped me sort of put it out of my mind and know that I've, that I was ready for the next day. And that would help me fall asleep. Sometimes it was still hard, but, um, and yeah, when you're, if you're not exhausted all the time, you know, or you're tapering or whatever, it can sometimes be hard to fall asleep because you are getting like, you're trying to get like a lot of sleep. Um, but I would just, I think meditation was another thing I did, not necessarily meditation, but like focus on my breathing. And that would often help me fall asleep too. Mm, It's interesting. You you say that like, for example, myself, when I start thinking about what I've got to do tomorrow or things I need to achieve, that actually keeps me up because my brain starts racing. I, I, I find it interesting that it actually helps you sleep. Well, no. So 
that, that same thing happens to me. But what I do is I set out a few minutes to think about what I have to do the next day, um, to go through the full gamut of the exercise. Right. And then sort of put it out of my mind. Um, so you kind of have to like keep it from coming back in there, which is sometimes hard. And also if, if I have just like a lot of things to do the next day, I'll just write lists. So I have a notepad next to my bed. And if I'm like, Oh, I remember something I have to do, or I have to get to the grocery store. I'll write it down in my notebook. So that way I'm not like, okay, these are, I'm not like my mind isn't continually returning to that thought or that thing. Um, so Hmm. yeah. And you mentioned meditation. Was that something you had learned? It's been something you had been taught and and, and how do you normally like to do it? Yeah, I kind of came to it on my own. Um, and I just take a few minutes to sort of quiet my mind, um, and try to relax. Um, and I don't, I'm not like really diligent about it or it's not like, you know, I'm not like super, super spiritual. I just, I use that word to describe what I do to sort of quiet my mind at night and to focus on my breathing and um, clear my mind, I guess, is a good way to describe it. Mm, It's interesting because you're not the first person to mention meditation. I would say at least... 80% 80% of the world and Olympic champions I've spoken to on this podcast, and that's over 50 right now, yeah. um, all have had some form of meditation, all think a lot about visualization. It's, it yeah. really is that, that mental extras, I think, which is making a lot of you guys, I'm having the privilege of speaking to the very best in the world. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. got more from caroline in just a moment on the best in the world with richard Barr. but i wanted to tell you about the other show i also host it's called sportachino it's on facebook live youtube 
and on Periscope every single weekday morning from 8 GMT. And you can also watch all of the episodes at sportachino.com. If you don't know how to spell it, it's S-P-O-R-T-U-C-C-I-N-O. And that's where we cover all different types of sport, from football to rugby to tennis to cricket to wrestling. And we also look at things such as diet and nutrition and just a healthy way of life. So go and check it out, sportachino.com. Lots of good articles and information coming on all of our social networking channels, including at Sportachino on Twitter and the same on Instagram. But crucially, if you can try and watch our live show at 8GMT, on Facebook, YouTube, on Periscope, it would be great to get you involved on the programme. Because it's an interactive show, you can give your opinions on sport directly to me every single weekday. All right, it'd be great to get your opinions, but now let's learn from the very best. Let's learn from Caroline Lind. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Now, you mentioned about when you were on the machine and that it became a competition and everything like that. How difficult was it that you're having to all train together as a team, but ultimately there's only eight spots and you're effectively competing against each other for those eight places all the time as well? Right. That, I think, is the um, most unique thing, thing about rowing and the hardest thing for a lot of young athletes to grasp and master, I would say. Um, it's, you know, and I always tell people that I'm like, you know, we, that's why the communication is so important. And then not only the communication, but sort of a setting aside of one's personal ego, um, and just accepting that, you know, you may not make the boat, but you're going to do the best that you can to be the most effective in that boat, in that seat, the most effective at working with your teammates to get a spot in the boat. Um, I always, you know, I always was very aware, um, and cognizant that I would have to come together with these, with these women at the end of the season and row an Olympic race. Um, and, I knew that by supporting them and encouraging them to have the best stroke they can have to be the fastest that fastest that they could be, I was in turn pushing myself, um, to also be faster, better, stronger, um, have a quicker catch. And I think that's what I love about rowing. I love that sort of inspiring others to be great and being inspired by my teammates. Um, and, you know, it's not for everybody. The sport that that mentality and that sport is not for everybody because not everyone wants to do that. Not everyone wants to think of others, you know, before themselves or and the you know put others, um, you know, needs and 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 think of others in that way. But I really do, and I love it, and I think um, I think that because the women that I've been with throughout these years in the team are able to sort of take a step back and have that mentality of let's help each other be better. Let's help each other be stronger. Let's push each other to be not just on the team, but the best in the world, like Olympic gold medalists. Let's do that. So 
you know, the majority of the team of my teammates have been able to wrap their head around that. And that has what, that is what really has elevated us from being just another rowing team to being sort of this dominant force that we've been able to develop over the past, you know, 12 years. Mm, yeah, two Olympic gold medals, multiple world championships. You had a huge uh, unbeaten streak. You you mentioned about getting their heads around it, all of you getting their heads around it. Was it something that you... Uh, how, how was this culture created? Did you kind of sit down at times saying this is what we're trying to achieve? Did you make any kind of list of rules? How did that work? Or did it just naturally progress from you guys almost pushing each other further every day? I think it naturally progressed. And I think you have to have, you know, a few leaders, a few key leaders that are leading by example. And I think in rowing, it has to be leading by example, because other than the coxswain, you don't really have a captain of the team. And that sort of goes against the whole mentality that I was just talking about. Like no one, we don't have any one superstar in the boat. We are all as good as our teammates. And so, um, I, I mean, I personally always tried to lead by example, treating my teammates with respect, supporting them, encouraging them. Um, and hopefully the younger kids would see that by doing that, it didn't diminish what I did. It only assisted in what I did. Um, and I think, so I think, those key, you know, key leaders and um, leading by example is really how how it happened. So let's talk about your first Olympic experience of when you won gold in, in 2008. How was that all for you? Obviously, great success. But how were you able to cope with, I guess, almost the, the whole excitement of being at the event and still being able to focus on what you needed to do? Yeah. Um, well, so at the um, Beijing Olympics, we were not in the Olympic Village <clears throat> um, during our competition. We were at a hotel near the race course because the race course was 45 minutes away from downtown Beijing, where everything else was. So that really helped to sort of make us feel like it was a little more like a world championship because it was us and a few other teams in the hotel and we were only a few minutes away from the course. Um, but also, you know, over my lifetime, I've developed like this focus. Right. And I think my experience in college was really important in learning how to deal with sort of these stressful pressure situations where lots of stuff is going on and focus in on what's important. I mean, at Princeton, I had to write a senior thesis of over a hundred pages, um, that was due during my um, spring rowing season. And that season we went undefeated and we won a national championship. Um, and that wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't been able to plan early and focus and have the right, um, sort of goals in my mind. So I think it's all about, for me, throughout my rowing career, I had consistently made choices for the for the outcome that I wanted, like I wanted that national championship. So I made the choices I had to along the way to get there. And I knew in my heart and my mind that I wanted an Olympic gold medal. It was a goal I had set for myself very early on in my rowing career. And so for me, it wasn't hard to make the choices I needed to make to get there. And those choices were even like at the games, like, what am I focusing on? Like, having sort of a very specific focus of team, boat, coach, um, 
my body, my eating, like folk, you know, it's, it's sometimes it seems like it's a very selfish pursuit, right? Because you're so focused on yourself. You have to push out all these other things. Um, and although I was young, I was able, you know, I had practiced those things in college. Um, and I was able to really focus in on the goal. It's always about the goal and the choices I have to make to get to that goal. Um, and it was really great. And of course, after I was just like, you know, crazy and happy and partying. But um, until that point, until that moment that we, you know, crossed the line first, it was, it was about choices. Yeah, well, everything you're talking about there is, is really interesting, because I've just been reading a book by Gary Keller called The One Thing. And a lot of that is to do with exactly what you were saying about narrowing down exactly what you want, some of the the things you have to say no to but you're also saying yes to the sacrifices and right and and the planning of it would you then are you someone who then sits down and says all right so my ultimate goal is to become an olympic champion what am i doing in the next six months to achieve that what am i doing three months what am i doing in in the one day is that kind of how it would work yes yeah, so i don't i don't go and write those things down i mean sometimes i write down my goals but they're usually the long-term goals. I don't usually write down the day-to-day goals, but that is super important. I always say that the road to success or the road to your goal is paved with these small building blocks of goals. So it's it, you think of like a road and you think of a cobblestone road. Each cobblestone is a small goal. It's a, a stepping stone to that larger goal. And that might be a day, that might be a week, that might be an erg test. Each stone might be a, one of those things. But they all come together to allow you to get to where you want to go. Um, and I think that that's an important thing to remember, too, is that it doesn't just happen. It happens over time, over the years, by really committing to each each cobblestone of your road so that you can know that you've put in hundred percent effort and that you've committed to each step along the way. And by doing that, it almost comes naturally. You almost, you know, you almost don't even realize that all of a sudden you're, you're at the end of your road and you're at the Olympics and you're doing it. But, um, and then you can remind yourself that, Hey, I'm at the Olympics about to row for an Olympic gold medal, but, but I have all these, all these stepping stones of, 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 um, support that I know I've done that I can, I can lean back on and trust that I have put in the work that I've had the races and I can feel confident in that and just go forward without fear and without, um, question knowing that I'm prepared for this moment. Mm. With that in mind, when you then went to the 2012 Olympics as a reigning champion, was that an easier process because you'd done that whole four-year rotation before? Um, I wouldn't say it was easier. I just would say I was more prepared for everything that was coming along. Um, and uh, I think it never gets easier, for sure. And I would say even it might get harder because you know what's going to happen and you're a little bit of an older athlete and you have more challenges to overcome, um, physiologically. Um, but I think, so I don't think it was easier. I think it was just like, um, I was, I think just a more mature athlete and, uh, maybe better able to handle some of those things. So, Mm. Did they feel like there was more pressure? You know what? 
I didn't feel like there was more pressure. I think when you're on the starting line at the Olympic final, the pressure is the pressure, right? Um, and it really, I think it's all in, it's all about how you frame it. So, um, knowing that, you know, you have to have your best race on that day and hopefully your best is better than everyone else's. Um, so it's, it's almost like the pressure to always be your best and be a hundred percent. Um, but I don't think it was like more pressure than the, than the 2008 Olympics. No. And when you're talking about framing, obviously you retired last year before the Olympic Games, the first one you hadn't competed, having won the last two Olympic Games. How difficult was that? Yeah, that was really tough. I mean, I retired due to injury and I had committed to that cycle, not only to myself, but to my teammates, right? Like I wanted to, that's a part of it, um, support them throughout the entire entire thing. So even when I did retire, I was still in close touch with everybody, um, available if they had any questions or needed support emotionally, mentally, you know, whatever. Um, but it was really tough to, to not be there in that moment that I had, you know, set as a goal for myself. But, um, then again, you know, this journey, this Olympic journey for every athlete ends at some point. And I am lucky to be able to look back on my career and know that I have achieved some amazing things and I've made some amazing connections with teammates along the way. And that, that is, you know, those Olympic gold medals, those world championships are something that some athletes never are able to grasp before they retire. So you know, whenever I sort of feel sad about missing 2016, I just think about all the amazing things that I was able to accomplish with my teammates and feel proud and 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 joyous from that. Mm. Yes, you had an absolutely incredible career and I know you're going to be even more successful in, in your current vocation and I hope it all really goes well for you in Princeton. You. It's been really good talking to you today, Caroline. Just before we go, could you let us know how we can continue to follow your journey on the different forms of social media, please? Sure. Um, my Instagram is carolinelind2012, I think it is. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have a website, carolinelynn.com, which I need to start writing my blog more for, but um, I think I needed some space when I, after I retired, some space from the sport. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm out there. I'm sort of posting on my life now as, as a married woman and you know, sort of the new exciting adventures that I'm having now. So yeah. Well, it was a fantastic insight in what it takes to become an Olympic champion, Raya. Thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for being the best in the world. Thanks so much for having me. Great talking to you. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Really good to speak to Caroline Lind on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. We have spoken to other rowers before. We've spoken to people such as Heather Stanning, Mahe Drysdale. We've also spoken to Matt Langridge, all Olympic gold medalists. Really good to have them on the program. Go back and listen to them if you're into your rowing. If you're not into your rowing, 
but want to learn from other amazing Olympic athletes, maybe go back and listen to athletes such as Veronica Campbell-Brown, the sprinter, or Phil Dalhauser, the Olympic volleyball champion, or maybe Anna Tunnicliffe, who was an Olympic sailing champion, now CrossFit competitor. All really interesting conversations that we have every single week on The Best in the World with Richard Barr. Now, we are on iTunes, we are on Stitcher, but we're now also on the Acast platform, so go and check us out at Acast. It's so great to become part of their family. And also, if you are listening to us on iTunes, please press subscribe and give us a rating and review. It would really help boost our show. All right, we've got another amazing interview with another Olympic or world champion coming up for you next Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher and on Acast. But for the meantime, I've been Richard Pye. You've been listening to The Best in the World. Have a great week. Goodbye. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.